Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Marcus, and my main man, Frankie. Marcus, you finally sound like you belong on the podcast. And uh, before you answer my sarcastic comment, uh, apologies for the little break that we took here. Has nothing to do with uh, our desire not to do this podcast and has everything to do with the fact that I have most likely caught the flu or some other virus that has been planted into the human population by some government. Uh, anyway, Marcus, how you been? How you doing? Um, I have somehow not gotten sick, even though I visited New York, which seems like a virus and bacteria infested place at the moment. Uh, but I am back in Denver, Colorado, where apparently people don't get sick. So I don't mind that at all. Uh, f- to your sarcastic comment, Frank, I did get a new microphone, which is why I don't sound like I'm taking a phone call from the 1950s. So uh, we're in pretty good shape here for the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, with this episode, Frank and I are going to get into a little bit about 2023, just general kind of outlook on the year, predictions, what we think uh, in terms of who's going to end the year number one, um, who's going to be most improved, who's going to, you know, who's going to dominate which season. We're going to talk a little bit about all these things and a few other touchy subjects that we do need to touch um, in terms of um, some potential player retirements. We'll see. Um, Frank, let's kick it off with uh, what is the outlook for this year in terms of players who are going to kind of rise to the top? We've seen a little bit of it last year with the Holger Rune cracking the top 10. Uh, we've seen it with Kasparud hitting the top three and being ranked as high as number two twice. So the Scandinavians are doing quite well. What is your kind of general outlook so far for the year coming up? Yeah, so this is the thing. I don't think there's going to be as many surprises as there were last year because last year, more than anything, I believe was the year of those big changes and that sort of uh how would you say it like hegemony shift i don't even know um of the atp tour right of the big three transitioning now to i think what's gonna be carlos alcaraz's tour right i think we finally got the the next gen we've been waiting for yeah honestly as cheesy as that is i think that that is actually largely correct i think you know carlos is definitely going to dominate i think somebody like a Holger Rune is going to continue to play pretty well. I think the biggest wild card this year, eh, two biggest wild cards this year, are going to be Alexander Zverev, because I don't know what he's going to look like post-injury, and Yannick Sinner. Because I think if we look from a pure ability basis, Yannick Sinner is you know right there with Carlos Alcaraz, more so than anybody else that's on the tour. I think. But has he ever really been able to put it all together consistently? Not really. But maybe this is the year that he's able to. I don't know. Uh, But I think that Carlos will be dominating. I think Novak will also be dominating this year. People forgot about him last year, but I haven't. That guy's pretty good at tennis. And another guy who I really like this year, Marcus, Taylor Fritz. I think Taylor Fritz, I think Taylor Fritz looks really, really good and has continued to improve throughout the year. He looked really good at ATP finals and the guy is just sort of hitting his stride at age 25 that 
I really think he has another gear to go up and, and potentially challenge at one of these majors now. So I think that that's sort of my very broad stroke things to look forward to uh, for this year at the top end of the tour. Uh, I mostly agree for the most part. And it's interesting that you brought up the Sverev and Sinner situations because I was also thinking about those situations. And Sverev in this case is actually in a pretty good situation. Um, he had a great year last year. Right before he got injured, he got up to number two in the world, uh, was competing with Rafa on the clay courts over at Roland Garros. And uh, it's kind of a shame that we didn't get to see him for the rest of the year because I really feel like that he was building upon what he uh, had been working on. And now that he, you know, he had a long time off with the, I believe it was the ankle ligament injury. Now he's had some time to come back, rehab the way that he wants to so that he can fully prepare for the season. It could be a real underdog story where we don't really expect uh, much from him coming off this injury, but but could end up producing some seriously good results depending on how draws shake out and how he actually ends up playing. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit for him to kind of play himself into the year. Like I don't think he's going to come out and like win the Australian or something crazy like that, but uh, watch out for Sverev. He's kind of hungry. He realizes how good he can be. I mean, he got up to two in the world last year. Uh, he does have a little bit more competition at the top now with Carlos and Casper and those guys. Um, but when healthy, I think he's one of you know top five players in the world and a threat for sure. And I think he's in a good spot. Yannick, on the other hand, Frank, and and you're going to probably go into this a little bit more because he's your boy. But he, we're expecting a lot of him, right? We expected a lot of him last year, and he didn't kind of produce the way that we thought he would. And we're like, all right, this is going to be the year where it's going to be like him and Carlos kind of going head to head, with Joker still involved and Casper having his say too. But we're expecting big leaps and bounds from Yannick. Um, not sure if he's going to deliver. Honestly, I'm. I'm still. The jury's still kind of out on that. The talent is unquestioned. Uh, the question for me personally is his consistency. But I want to hear your thoughts on Yannick. Yeah, I largely agree. But when I think about Yannick, I also sort of have to give him the benefit of the doubt in the sense of we need to remember last year Yannick had not one, not two, but three coaches until he finally settled on Darren Cahill at the end of the year. He had a change service motion, which he fixed midway through the year. That is definitely better than what he had before. But this is his first full year with Darren Cahill, his first full year with that fixed service motion. So, like, I, I'm going to give him this year. And I and I, I sort of, like, will look past the inconsistencies that he had last year in the hopes that he's able to fix it for this year. But yeah, I, I think this is like the, you know, crapper get off the pot moment for Yannick Sinner to, to use a crude expression. But you know, that that's really what this is for him. Somebody else that I want us to talk about, and this is your boy, Marcus. So I'll let you do it. What do we think about Nick Kyrgios? What's he going to be like for this upcoming year? Wow, I I didn't know before the show that Nick Kyrgios was my boy. However, I love talking about Nick. Um, I think Nick is at, we, and we've talked about this before on previous episodes, Frank. Nick is at, is at the point in his life where he is starting to realize that he really does have the potential and that he, when he, if he does take it seriously, that he can do some damage as shown by making the Wimbledon final. He's going to he's going to make some noise at the Australian. That is for sure. That is his home crowd. He gets up for that. You know, he's going to give 100 percent effort. You know, he's not going to do one of these lazy Nick things and just go out. 
I don't know how his training has been in the offseason. However, I'm sure that he's prepared himself well enough for this. Australian Open also kind of fits him nicely, not only just due to the fact that it is at home. Uh, fast court surface, fast, you know, uh, overall conditions just due to the temperature there as well. Uh, he will play a lot of nighttime matches most likely, so that can kind of negate that a little bit. But overall, um, I would expect Nick to finish, uh, you know, top 20 in the world. Hopefully he does a full schedule. He is playing the French Open. Uh, the only reason being is because his girlfriend apparently wants to visit Paris. So thank you to the girlfriend of Nick Curious. We get to see him on clay this year. Um, Grassy's always a threat. And then U.S. Open, it depends on his body, honestly, at that point. So that's that's kind of my feelings on on Nick at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I that's so funny because it's true that like he's only coming because his girlfriend wants to like it's just so ridiculous like but that's also, a very this is the most nick thing to ever it, happen exactly it's the most nick curious answer that there could possibly be which is really just phenomenal uh so yeah i, I think that's like the pretty big broad strokes for the year somebody else i wanted to also quickly uh talk about here is felix alger aliasim our favorite person on this podcast that we talk about far too frequently. <sighs> perfect, perfect uh, summary of him so far. What do we think about Felix Azurali-Asim? Is this going to be the year where he finally does something at a major or more of the same, in your opinion? Before I answer that question, Frank, what do you categorize as doing something at a major? Finals are better. No. <laughs> All right, quick answer. Uh yeah, I largely agree. I don't I don't think he's I just I don't think he's got the consistent See, I think he has the game and I think he has all the talent to win a major, get to the that I don't have that's not a problem with him. He could hang with anyone. My problem with him is I don't think he has the consistency and the mental strength to do it seven matches in a row. That's my problem. So that's where I think Felix will sort of fall there. And I think that that's why he's had so much, so many problems winning tournaments is for that exact reason. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I, I think that part of the reason is I think he can get through, a, you know, your first four or five matches. Um, you know what I mean? It, it's for me, it, FA, for the most part, takes care of his business. I mean, the guy is ranked six in the world. That's not a fluke, right? It's what happens when he plays against guys who are either ranked a little bit higher or around where he is, right? So a Joker, a Sitsipas, a Rude, a Nadal, an Alcaraz. It's where he just breaks down. Uh, and I don't think that he's going to be able to overcome that hurdle unless something drastically changes. Uh, and with the fact that Carlo has, is so dominant at the moment, and then you have guys like Holger Rune and Yannick Sinner kind of like knocking on the door as well. Again, I'm not sure he that can get over guy that named Novak Djokovic is yeah. also still pretty good at tennis. Yeah, just, just so everybody remembers. We're, and we're going to get into him in a second about what we kind of expect, you know, of him from the year. But you know, you're dealing with all these guys. I don't. I just can't. I can't even. Even if I, I can't even think of a tournament where he could possibly do it. Like I don't really consider him a Roland Garros type guy. At the at the Australian, maybe uh, maybe at the Open, Wimbledon, he's done decently, but I, I think there's just too many. There's just too good a competition for him at the moment. Something needs to change. It's more so mental because Frank's totally right, physically, and also technique wise and, and and game style. It's perfect. Like there's nothing you know 
we've criticized his backhand a little bit, but like that's also improved. So it's really just all up top. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my take on FAA. And now that you did mention Novak, Frank, what are we, what are we expecting of the man this year? He's finally allowed back in Australia, hitting the courts. Uh, he's in the Adelaide draw this week. What, what do we expect of the man this year? So I'll blend this into the person that I also wanted to talk about it because I think it's going to be a similar, well, not too similar, but like, I think the narrative will be a lot of the same. Uh, I think Novak is going to have a massive comeback year. I think he will be the world number one at the end of the year. I think he's going to be competitive at three of the four majors. I don't know how competitive he'll be on clay. I think clay has a lot of really top tier competitors at this point that I don't know if he'll be able to get there. Uh, because for all of his faults, Stefano Tsitsipas is still right there for Roland Garros, best clay court players. I think at that point, that's enough months in that Zverev will certainly be like at a top level of uh, competitiveness. So I'll put him right there. Obviously, Carlos Alcaraz, phenomenal on clay. He'll be right there. Rafa Nadal, still really good on clay. Casper Ruud, still really good on... Like, that's five or six guys that I would all sort of put probably above Novak at this point on clay. But I would need to see him in the clay run-up to see what we're working with. But, you know, that that's the one major where I would say I wouldn't favor him to really win it or be in the top end to win it. But everything else, he's in my top three, if not top two, to be honest, to win it. Uh, whether it's Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australia, I, I think he's he's got to be the, the preemptive favorite, probably. Uh, the other player that I would sort of put him in that same like comeback player of the year realm, if you want to call Novak's a comeback, is Matteo Berrettini, who we didn't really speak about at all last year because he was largely injured. But I think Matteo Berrettini, if he looks as good as he did pre-injury, might be the Wimbledon favorite, to be perfectly honest. The guy has didn't lose a match on grass last year before he got COVID-19 before Wimbledon. And the year before, obviously, he made it to the final. The guy has proven that he is a dominant force on a fast uh, court where his serve can really do its, do its damage. So... I think Matteo Berrettini is going to be another one to really, really watch. And he's another person like we spoke about, you know, two years ago on this podcast has sneaky good results at all four majors on every surface. The guy has gotten to like the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and almost beat Novak. If you remember, uh, I'm sorry, not Wimbledon at Roland Garros and almost beat Novak at Roland Garros. If you remember that COVID shortened match where they had to get the fans out and everything like that. Um, and he's played really phenomenal at every single major. So I think he's another person to watch and probably makes the ATP finals at the end of the year. Yeah, I think Mateo is somebody who can definitely make noise also on a hard court slam as well. Uh, if we're talking Australian or the U.S. Open, U.S. Open, he's obviously had some pretty decent success making the semis a couple of times. Um, I... Don't think of him as highly as you do at the moment, though, in terms of also grass. And that's just because I think the competition has also gotten really good. Like, we haven't really seen Carlos on grass, but I imagine the guy can play really, really good on grass, too. Yannick Sinner, very good on grass. Novak, I would honestly pick at this point over Mateo. 
So that's at least a couple of guys. But I do hear what you're saying, that he's at least in the mix in comparison to the other slams. I'm, I see what you're getting out there. With Noel, funny that you say that he's... Uh, when you said he's going to be competitive at three out of the four slams, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, that makes total sense because he can't play in the U.S. Open because he hasn't gotten a COVID vaccine yet. And then you brought up the French. And I was like, man... He he didn't he just win it two years ago? I mean, he's still one of the best clay court players in the world. Like, I think I think he's at least a top three favorite. Uh, you know, I, I think it'll be him, Rafa, and, and Carlos to kind of be like in the top three favorite um category really? there. What do you just, again? You're no yeah. respect for Casper Rude. Just absolutely none. Okay, Casper's number four for me. I'm sorry. Or Steph. <laughs> Again, Re- I'm really? the biggest. Steph? I am. I am the president, CEO, chairman of the board of the sets Stefano Sitsipas Hate Club. Okay, but I will give him his flowers. The guy is really good on clay. So hold up, you're telling me that Joker is not even in the top four favorite for the French? Okay, well let's let's do this really quick, right? This again, broad strokes don't hold us to this in six months, but. Uh, uh, we're agreed. Carlos, Rafa, they're there, correct? Yep. Okay. Stefano Sitsipas. I'm taking Djokovic over him on a clay court right now, any day, any okay. week. Okay. Casper Ruud. Same. Okay. Healthy Alexander Zverev. Same. I just disagree. Yeah, no. I <laughs> I would at least, at the very least... I would take a healthy Zverev and a healthy Tsitsipas at this point over Novak at, at a Roland Garros. The guy has to age at some point. And like the place where we're going to see his age more than any other court is going to be on that clay court. That's going to be the first one to go. You know, so I, I'm going to go with that. I, I can't just say that the guy's going to win every single major this year. I don't no, think that that's no, realistic. No, no. Like, I I think he'll be like when I say competitive, like it's exactly what Marcus said. Like, I think he is in the top three, you know, favorites to win the tournament. And I'm saying at three of the four, he's in my top three. But at Roland Garros, no, I I don't I don't have him in my top three. And that's fair. That's not that's not that's honestly not a ridiculous take. I can see where you're coming from on that. Um, I just don't think it's we're, we're quite there yet. I think that he is. This is going to this could be like a 2011 Joker situation where he's just like pissed off at the world. He's like, you know, F you guys. I don't you know, you guys didn't let me come in and play. I'm back like I'm just going to tear it up at 35 years old. You know, I think that can happen. I don't think it will. But watch out. The guy has surprised us before. I'm not disagreeing with like I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying I think he's going to be world year end number one. World number one at the end of the year. I honestly, gun to my head, I probably, I think he probably wins at least two majors, to be honest. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I think that we're going to see a little bit of regression from him. I think that that is like an undeniable thing. Like it it just has to happen. I love how how regression for him. I love how regression for him is year-end number one and two slams. (laughs) Well, you have to understand that that is regression from him. The last full season the guy had was 37-1 and at majors. That's crazy. I can't. can't. It's so good. 
<laughs> You're not wrong. It's just crazy how freaking good this guy is. I mean, the level we're like, oh, he's gonna, he's only gonna win two slams. He's only gonna be here at number one. You know, it's like it's insane. You know, but again, Novak, we're kind of TBD on. We got to see what's going on with the U.S. Open situation. That does play a massive uh, factor into it at the moment. Um, not sure if that's going to change, but let's talk a little bit about the other old guy, Frank. Our one of our podcast favorites, Rafael Nadal, who is obviously one of the best ever and also one of the most respected tennis players ever. He's 36 years old. He's gone through some serious injuries over the last year or two, including some uh, broken ribs, pretty much broken foot, had it injected and still won the French Open. Crazy. Um, won two slams last year. Did not expect that. Obviously, didn't expect him to win an Australian Open like, what was it, like 12 years after he, no, even more, right? Was it 12 years or something? No, 13 years after his uh, first one? 13, 13, 2009 to 2022. There you go. Right. So, um, Frank, I, we spoke a little bit about this before the show, but we want to kind of share with our listeners. I think this is going to be Rafa's last year, and we've kind of been calling this, but I think this is really going to be it. And I would I would love for him to each out just one more French. I think that's going to be his best opportunity. Otherwise, I think this is kind of it for him. Yeah, I think that he is going to try to do the Pete Sampras ending, where he's going to try to make that final push run at Roland Garros, win the tournament, and it really would not surprise me if he retired on the spot should he win Roland Garros. I just think he's been alluding to it for far too long now that he is nearing that point. And on top of that, as irrational as it may seem, uh, I think the birth of Rafa's child is a really big deal in this equation. Over and over again, we've seen that Rafa Nadal is a really family-oriented guy, like still lives in the same like compound with his mom and his dad and his sister. Like they all live together. It just wouldn't surprise me if that's sort of the, you know, straw that broke the camel's back where Rafa's just like, okay, like I really have gotten a massive outside interest. And, you know, if he gets one more French Open that really puts him at a strong pace to be ahead of Novak Djokovic, where Novak would have to basically win every slam that he's favored to this year on top of probably winning a slam next year to overtake him that Rafa could probably comfortably retire and be in consideration, if not be the greatest of all time. So I think, I I think this is it. Yeah. I think, I think we're about to watch like, the second to last major of Rafa's career at the Australian Open. It, it wouldn't really surprise me because the thing that is clear to me about Rafa that was also clear about Roger is the second that they don't think that they can win a major anymore, they're done, right? Like Roger said that very plainly. Like once I went into the tournament and realized I couldn't win it anymore, that was it. And I think that that's sort of the standard that Rafa has too. So. I think we're heading to that point really quickly. Yeah, I think we are. And if he end up, ends up not winning the French, I think he'll play a very light summer schedule, try to get his body right for those final two slams of the year. You know, maybe end his career at the U.S. Open or maybe at the World Tour Finals or, you know, maybe he'll do like a, la- you know, his last tournament in Spain at some point, maybe even next year just to kind of sign off. But 
Yeah, this is uh, at least you know again, Breakpoint Podcast does not have any inside information on Rafael Nadal, but we're just kind of reading the tea leaves uh, based on his age, injuries, his family life, and what he's been talking about. Uh, we we don't want to see him go, but Jesus Christ, he's been around a long time, being competitive this long. Yeah, but there's also a difference between not wanting someone to go and being okay if they do, and I think that this past year has really made me at least feel much more comfortable and accepting of Rafa, Roger, and Novak leaving the tour. Because I think that the game very clearly has a future now. Like, there are different players and characters that I'm just like, oh, the game is going to be okay and survive without these three, you know, holding the mantle, so to say. And I think that we're the game is ready for Rafa to leave now. He's he like he obviously he doesn't owe the the game or anyone anything, but I think more than ever before, we're ready for Rafa to step away, if that makes any sense. Marcus is nodding his head, so I think he agrees with me. But yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, he he's never cheated us, so uh, he's given it his all. If it, if he just retired like right today on the spot, we'd be totally content here. At least at Breakpoint Podcast, we would be. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, so the last thing I want to do for us to wrap this puppy up, and I will answer it first, actually, to give Marcus some time to research this because we didn't talk about this before. This is going to be a moonshot selection. Young player who we haven't spoken about that we're going to say is going to really break out. You know, whether it could be like going into the top 100, going into the top 20, whatever it may be, somebody who is under the age of 18 that, you know, nobody's really talking about too much, but we think could make some waves. And I have two people who I would like to talk about. One is the 17-year-old from China named Junchang Shang, who at the age of 17 already has uh, 289 ATP points. He's 192 in the world. I've seen him play like decently well a few times now, and I could really see him, you know, having that sort of breakout year and maybe cracking the top 100. So I think he is definitely one to watch for. And number two is actually somebody that Marcus has mentioned on this podcast. And I think I went to go see him at the U S open, or maybe it was you. I don't remember. But it's the American Lerner Tien, who I think would be another really interesting person uh, to go see. He's 17 years old. He has 17 ATP points. But I think he is another one that we could really see potentially making some waves this year. And those would be my two sort of selections. So I'll kick it off to Marcus. Let's see what he's got. Well, you caught me off guard. With both of those, uh, Lerner Tien was the Kalamazoo under 18 national champion at 16 years of age. Not sure if he's going to play a full schedule, Frank. Um, not sure if he's going to want to go the college route, but definitely an interesting pick considering that if you're 16 and you're already winning Kalamazoo, you must be pretty good. These are moonshots, baby. You're not yeah, supposed these are moonshots. to you're supposed to be uh, you're supposed to be caught off guard. So mission accomplished. That's, no, that's really good. I actually thought you were I thought of the player while you dropped that bomb on me. The question. Uh, I thought of a player. I'm like, OK, I want to see how they do on tour this year. And this person's also relatively young under the age of 20. But then you just dropped that on me. But I thought you were going to say when you said American, I was like, okay, is he going to say it? And then you went the other route. Ben Shelton. I knew you were going to go there. I knew yes. it. The second you said American, I yep. knew it. 
uh, Ben Shelton, NCAA champion, uh, University of Florida Gator player, uh, has officially decided to go on tour for the year. Had a really nice uh, Atlanta Open. Also had a nice, I believe it was Cincinnati. He had a pretty good tournament there. Was it that one too? Yeah. And yeah, then, uh, he also had a decent U.S. Open. Yeah, pretty solid U.S. Open. Uh, really big dude. Lefty has a great serve, can really crack the ball. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does on a full year on the tour. He's not used to that level of physicalness, obviously playing week to week. College is kind of like a condensed season. I know he's got a little bit of experience playing on the futures, but ATP tour, whole different animal. Uh, but he's talented. He's got a lot of upside. I'm really excited to see what he does. And I'm hoping he can make some main draws at some majors this year so he can also get some cash and keep that ranking up. Yeah, no, I'm not going to disagree with Ben Shelton. I think he's a really good shout. Uh, the other two players that I will shout out who are in the top 250, they are also two really young guys, both from France. France has a ton of really good young players, by the way. Do not be surprised if like they start doing the same thing that Italy has, where it's just like this run of crazy good you know players from the same country but luca van Aske and arthur phils both 18 uh luca has 403 points already he's 139 in the world he's the i think he's the youngest player in the top 150 and then arthur phils i think i've i think i saw him at the u.s open also he is 18 years old he has 213 atp points and he is 251 in the world which is also pretty good so you know, there's a lot of uh, pretty exciting young talent on the horizon, Marcus, that uh, we could uh, potentially see break out this year. So you never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the, the tour is ripe for young players at the moment. I think Carlos was kind of paving the way with like, all right, you can you can do this still at a young age. You know, it was kind of written off for a while that everyone was getting better when they're getting older and into like their thirties and more physically stronger. And Carlos was like, Nope, we can do it right now. What are we waiting for? So I think this year is going to be really exciting. Um, you know, a lot of storylines, a lot of good tournaments. I'm excited. And fellow guests and listeners, uh, the Breakpoint Netflix series, which uh, we're going to have a conversation with them about copyright infringement because they also stole our logo pretty much. Um, just just kidding kind of uh we're gonna be doing uh special edition episodes this month so frank and i are gonna be pretty busy after each episode or every time we go watch one maybe every two days or something we're gonna release a podcast with our thoughts on the episode uh and those episodes released on january 13th so watch out for that and then next week we're gonna give you an australian open preview so we're pretty we're gonna be pretty busy here recording at the breakpoint podcast yeah, for the lack of episodes that have been going on the past two, three months, you're going to get a glutton of episodes this month. I'll also add something uh, that Marcus forgot to mention about the Breakpoint uh, documentary. Uh, we will be going on video for those. So if you watch us on Spotify, you can watch the video embedded in the Spotify podcast. Otherwise, I think we're also going to upload it to YouTube as well. Uh, so you'll be able to hear us and see us uh, talk about these episodes because we, as we've mentioned on this podcast a few times, have been actually waiting for this to come out for so, so long now. Uh, and we're so excited to watch it along with you guys. So we're going to end the episode here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to follow us on all of our socials at Breakpoint Podcast 7. Uh, that is across Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok you know, the whole shebang. And then we also have a new website that our boy Marcus has specially curated, which he can give you the exact uh, 
address for right now over the air. But also, if you just click the link in our description uh, that is on our Instagram and all of our socials, uh, the link is there as well, uh, if that is easier for you. And uh, Marcus, you want to tell us that website link, and then I'm actually going to sign off here. So thanks for listening. See you later, guys. Absolutely. It is podpage.com uh, backslash break dash point dash podcast. Check it out. We've got all our stuff on there. We're going to write a little bio about us, uh, maybe a little contact us form. But you guys know where to reach us anyway. Frank just laid it out. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. See you.